0: Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll look at the first 15 verses this morning, and the text is also printed in the bulletin on the next page for you. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about uh, time and eternity this morning. Time and eternity, uh, that might sound really exciting to some of you uh, <clears throat> who like sci-fi or um, or just science in general or philosophy, and stuff like that. But we're not really going to talk in terms of Philosophy, or theoretical physics, or sci-fi. Uh, sorry, if you're a fan of, uh, you know, the Time Lord, uh, Doctor Who. Uh, we're we're going to talk about time and eternity in terms of human experience, as the Bible talks about it. That's how the Bible talks about time and eternity in terms of human experience. So, if you've read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. <clears throat> Maybe you remember in the voyage of the Dawn Treader uh, toward the end of the book, when they reached the last island before the end of the world, before uh, hoping to get past the end of the world and go into Aslan's country, uh, they meet Ramandu. I'm not sure how to pronounce him. Ramandu, how, where the accent is. But uh, uh, he's this ancient star who used to shine in the night sky, and now he appears as an old man on this island, uh, recovering his strength. Eustace, Eustace Scrub, what a great name. He says, uh, the sensible thing that we of the scientific age are all thinking. He says, well, in a world, in, in our world, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas, right? It doesn't make any sense to him that here's this, this fellow, this old wizened man who claims to be a star. And uh, Ramendu replies, even in your world, my son, that's not what a star is, only what it's made of. So he's making some interesting distinction there, and that's the same kind of distinction we're going to make as we speak about time and eternity uh, this morning. Welcome, Berta. Good to see you. Uh, So we're not so much interested in time as, uh, you know, a fourth dimension, the way it gets talked about, uh, or how to measure the duration of time or eternity in seconds and days and ages, what the passing of time is like. Uh, in, in those terms, or we're not interested in the theory of relativity or time distortion or time travel or what what time is made of. That's not the kind of questions that we're looking to ask. We're interested in what time is to human beings, how we experience time and why God orchestrates time the way that we experience it. God is the eternal Lord of time and Jesus is the beginning and the end and the center of what God is doing in time and in eternity. So that's what we'll talk about. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word. We thank you for your word incarnate, the Lord Jesus. Help us to understand this word in light of him, in light of the gospel of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. Time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with or to be troubled with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is time as the Bible speaks of it? And how do we experience it? We experience the passage of time uh, in a tumultuous way. I doubt any of you have an internal clock ticking away constantly in our heads like a metronome, counting a steady beat throughout our daily lives, just keeping perfect track of time like that, feeling each moment just as you felt the previous moment. Sometimes it feels like time passes more slowly. Right? This is our tumultuous experience of, the, of time. Sometimes it feels like it passes more slowly, like when you're watching your teapot waiting to make your favorite tea, or uh, like when you're a child waiting for summer break from school to start. In cases like these, it feels like there's too much time. And if we could control time, we'd want to accelerate it, hit fast forward on it. Sometimes it feels like time passes quickly. Too quickly. Like when you just started playing the video games, but look, it's already been three hours. Right? You didn't even notice. Then we feel like there's not enough time. And if we could control time then we'd want to extend these moments out longer and give ourselves more time. So we experience time as something that is beyond our control. We experience it in seasons that are tied to events, right? Occasions that have some kind of meaning for us. Time isn't just what's happening with the second hand on the clock as it goes around in a circle at a steady pace. And seasons aren't just what you measure with a calendar in terms of months or the cycles of the moon. Right? Ecclesiastes <clears throat> says in uh, verse 1 here, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So seasons are for things and time is for matters. Right? And there's a time for this matter there's a time for that matter. So Ecclesiastes would probably agree with the philosophers and the physicists on this point. You look up a definition of time, and you say time is something that is inexorably moving forward, irreversible progression. That's some aspect of time, uh, sort of what time is made of stuff, right? But the focus of Ecclesiastes here is on the things, and it's on the matters that make up the moments and the seasons and the times, Of our lives, and these things, these matters in time, they happen to us, right? You could say they're foisted upon us. We find ourselves stuck in these moments that we wouldn't always have chosen. It's like uh, the U2 song that Bono sings: "You've got stuck in a moment, and now you can't get out of it. Don't say that later will be better. You were stuck in the moment of your birth. You didn't choose it." You just had to be there. It happened to you. And one day you'll be stuck in the moment of your death. You won't choose that either. But you won't miss it. It'll happen to you. Many of the pairs that are listed here in this section that looks uh, verse by verse, obviously it's uh, poetry, the poetic section of our passage, many of those pairs are things that you do. They're, They're actions, human actions. Right? Things that you do by your own volition, but the overall sense is that it's all beyond your control what kind of time or season it is, and what kind of action or response on your part is being called for each moment. What kind of action or response on your part is appropriate to the moment? That's beyond your control. Your time in this life under heaven is filled with moments like these, moments in which you just find yourself. You can't be pessimistic about your time in this life. You can't just be pessimistic because there will be moments of planting and healing and building up and laughing and dancing and so forth. You also can't be naively optimistic about your time in this life because each of these pairs has a negative as well as a positive. And there will be moments of breaking down and moments of weeping and mourning and giving up things is lost. There are all kinds of ups and downs in the moments of our lives, and there's an overall sense of frustration about that here. Frustration. You can't tell the future, so you don't know whether tomorrow will be a day for war or a day for peace. It'll just happen to you. You find yourself in an unpredictable, uncontrollable, moment-by-moment life filled with good things and bad things. And of course we wish our time in this life only included the good things. But with dismay, we might realize it's actually God's plan that our times are orchestrated as they are to include both good things and bad things. Verses 9 and 10, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with or literally to be troubled with. This is troubling stuff, right, that God has given to us. This kind of life. There's an overall structure to the poetry here that's, uh, <clears throat> again, those poetic verses that you see. They're verses two through eight. <clears throat> seven verses. And they make up 14 couplets. And the word time is repeated 28 times. So each of these is multiples of seven, right? The number of the perfection of God's work. Not just abstract perfection, the perfection of God's work. So God superintends time like this. God superintends time as we experience it. He oversees the seasons of our lives. He troubles us for a response during each and every moment. However we might like to try to manage our lives, to arrange for the good times and avoid the bad times, our time in this world is all given to us by God. And he calls for a response in each and every moment. And his plan for our time, his gift of our time in this life, it includes a whole bunch of things that we wouldn't have asked for, and we look to the future, then introduce this other idea, this this idea of eternity. We look we yearn for eternity, hoping for relief from the tyranny of this kind of time. We might conceive of eternity in different ways, uh, whether you conceive of eternity as as sort of one static, timeless moment of bliss that you just get locked into, or as a never-ending time where each moment goes moment by moment, but each one's better than the last. However we conceive of it, we have the hope. We have the hope that eternity will be a drastic improvement over our experience of time in this life. And we hope that eternity will make this time and all these times, worth the hassle, worth the trouble. Right? We hope that from the perspective of eternity, we'll be able to make sense of all the seasons and the times that we've had to endure in this life. And I think that's true in some way. I think it's true in a way that we, we can't comprehend, that we can't conceive of. It's a reality that is beyond us. And Ecclesiastes tells us But that truth just adds to our frustration with time. Because, as it says in verse 11, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. That's the frustrating part. It's difficult for us to experience all of our time as beautiful. He says he's made everything beautiful in its time. It's hard for us to experience all of our time as beautiful. It's easy to experience the good times as beautiful, but not the bad ones. And we imagine that eternity will be when we can experience it all as beautiful. We have some connection to eternity. It's not spelled out, what that means. But the idea here is that this connection is actually frustrating. Because even though we can sense that there's more then just this time, we can't find out what it is that God is doing in time and eternity from beginning to end. We don't know exactly what is the relationship between time and eternity. We don't know exactly what eternity will be like. We don't know what exactly God is doing in our times that are filled with all sorts of both good and bad moments. We can't see the big picture. We can't see the big picture. That's frustrating. We can't see the big picture to help us to consider each detail of the big picture, that each detail is beautiful. We can't see it. We just find ourselves stuck in the moments with something in our hearts yearning for something beyond this time, yearning for some different kind of time in eternity, a kind of time where only the good moments happen to us. But the scriptures say that God has made everything beautiful in its time. It isn't just the times of laughter that are beautiful. It's the times of weeping, too. It isn't just the times for dancing that are beautiful. It's also the times for mourning. It isn't just the times for embracing that are beautiful. It's also the times for distancing. From God's own eternal perspective, beyond our time, with a view of all moments, past, present, and future, from God's perspective, everything that He brings about in our time is beautiful. And that doesn't mean that every moment in your life is good, that every moment something good is happening to you, suffering is not good in and of itself. War and death are not good things in and of themselves. These are parts of our experience of time. But from God's perspective, the things that we suffer in our time they fit into making a larger picture so to speak, and that picture is beautiful to God. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. And that's been likened uh, by several preachers and commentators uh, um, talking about this or other scriptures. It's been likened to a grand tapestry. Right? It's great tapestry when you can take a step back and when you can see the whole thing from the perspective that really only God could have. It's a picture of wondrous beauty this whole tapestry of time and eternity, and the whole cosmos. But when you zoom in close on the fine details, this thread is golden, but that thread is sort of a dingy mustard brown. This thread is bright sparkling silver, but that thread is midnight black. And in our experience of time, moment by moment, we're only able to see one thread of the tapestry of eternity at a time. Now we have the bright thread of a wedding. Now we have the, bright th- the, the dark thread of a divorce. Now we have the bright thread of a birth. Now we see the dark thread of a miscarriage. Now we have the bright thread of a brand new job. Now we have the dark thread of a two-month-old job. Or a lost job. We only see the threads of each moment, but God the eternal Lord of time, he's weaving them all together into something that only he can see. Only he can see it. Only he can know it. And he says it's beautiful to him. I might think that it's impossible that the big picture could be beautiful because look at all these dark strands. Look at all these dark threads. But God says that what he sees is beautiful and we're to take his word for it. God's eternal plans satisfy him, even if a lot of the time they boggle us. But we're called to trust him and to live our lives moment by moment as he gives them to us, being faithful to him and being responsive to him. I think that's basically what this means in verses 12 and 13, where it says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We might not be able to find joy in those dark threads in and of themselves of the moments of time in which we find ourselves, but we can find our joy in the Lord in our relationship with Him, and we can do good, and we can live our lives, our short lives, and we can be thankful to Him for His gifts. It's God's gift to us to be able to find fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in our relationship with God. That's what Ecclesiastes is about. Even when we're stuck in a dark thread of the tapestry of time, even when we come to the frayed end of our thread and despair of our lives having contributed anything to the grand scheme of things, Ecclesiastes has already stripped away the illusion that our lives and our toil and our work would make any substantial difference in the world in and of themselves, under the sun, but here he reassures us that we can take pleasure in our toil, we can enjoy our few threads in the tapestry of eternity, because it is something that God is doing. All of it is something that God is doing in the world. It's part of his work of weaving a tapestry that he takes pleasure in. What we do may be as insubstantial and fleeting as vapor, But verse 14, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. So God is the absolutely sovereign Lord of time. What he does has absolute, everlasting, unchangeable significance. And he has made your times what they are. That's his enduring work. He has made. Your time's what they are, the bright threads and the dark threads, as part of his eternal tapestry. And he's done it so that you would know him as the Lord, so that you would fear him. So that you would relate to him as the awesome and majestic God that he is. He's the one who controls your time, not you. He has you at his mercy. That's where you find yourself in each moment of time. You're really at his mercy, not just the mercy of time. You're at his mercy. And it's the perfect way of putting it, really. You're at his mercy. And you know that it's mercy, the seasons and times of your life being in his hands. You know it because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that the eternal tapestry that God is weaving from the bright threads and the dark threads of the moments of your life, it's beautiful because we've been given a glimpse of God's own view of the eternal tapestry in Jesus. The mystery of his will has been revealed to us. His plan for the fullness of time, as Cheryl read from Ephesians 1. Jesus is God's eternal plan. His plan from before the foundation of the world, his plan for the fullness of time, his plan for our time, for your time. Paul writes in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. And Mark records that he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Romans 5, again, Paul writes, at the right time, Christ not only came into the world, Christ not only called us to repentance, Christ died for the ungodly at the right time. God orchestrated all the events of time All through the history of the world to lead Jesus to that moment at the cross. Just think. Just think of all the lives of all the broken and sinful people that are just recorded in the Old Testament. All the different moments that led to Jesus coming into the world and going to the cross. Adam, celebrating one of the first things that ever happened in in the history of humanity. Celebrating the creation of his wife and celebrating their union. What a bright thread. And then the both of them being driven out of the garden the darkest thread. This couple having children, the first children, and then having their firstborn kill his brother. Abraham, hearing God, call him to follow him to a strange land, and Abraham trusting God. And then Abraham lying about his relationship to Sarah so that she finds herself in another man's harem. Joseph, being sold into slavery by his own brothers, Joseph rising to power in Egypt and saving his brothers and saving the world from famine. Moses killing the Egyptian. Moses hesitating in unbelief before God. Moses leading God's people out of slavery. But then Moses blowing up at God's people and failing as a mediator. David's beautiful faith in God before the giant warrior Goliath. What a bright thread. And David's treacherous Betrayal in the matter of Uriah and Bathsheba, or dark thread. And the story of all the bright threads and all the dark threads that make up the moments of the lives of God's people, in God's sovereign plan, they lead inexorably to Jesus. The bright threads of Jesus' life, they're beautiful. His birth, his service and ministry, his friendships, his loving and care. And the dark threads of Jesus' life are beautiful. For their place in this tapestry, his suffering, his torture, his humiliation, his death, his burial. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of time and eternity. He's the beginning and the end and the center of God's eternal tapestry. Jesus is what God is doing with everything in its season, with every matter in its time with every moment of your life. You can't see it. He hasn't given you the the ability to see it. He's maybe given you the ability to sense that something should be there. But God's doing this, and it's beautiful. You might not see the beauty, all the beauty of each moment of your life, but that was never a prerequisite for following God anyway, to have God's own omniscience about everything. You're called to trust God that, that what he is doing in your times and how that relates to eternity, to what God is doing in eternity, that all of this is good. And you can trust him because of Jesus. You can't avoid or manage how time happens to you in God's plan. That's okay. Sometimes they're wonderful. Sometimes they're unbearably, overwhelmingly hard. And you're called to live in the moments that God has given to you. So don't try to avoid the weeping. Live with God in the weeping. Respond to God in the weeping. And don't avoid the laughter. Live with God in the laughter. Receive all these times from him, believing that in his plan, in his works which endure forever... They all add up to a rich, glorious picture of Jesus in Christ. Wrestle with the difficulty of that. Sure, call out to God and lament during the dark threads, the dark moments. Call out to God and lament. Call out with your questions. How can you make this beautiful in its time? How can you weave with dark threads like these? Don't deny the reality of the way that you're experiencing time. The way that you find yourself stuck in these moments. But look to Jesus for that glimpse into God's eternal plan. In the gospel, God has revealed something of the eternity that he has put into your heart. Jesus is God's plan for time and eternity. The union of divinity and humanity in Christ, that's God's plan. The restoration of God's image in our humanity in Christ, that's God's plan. The glorification of humanity to share in God's eternal life, that's God's plan for all time, for every time, and for your time. This is the work of God that endures forever, and he's done it so that people fear before him. That's what it says. Fearing God, that's good. Relating to him as the true God, he's God, we're not, that's good. And it's good for him to work so that you would fear him so that you would come to that point. So that you would worship him, so that you would trust him, so you would follow him, so you'd find purpose and meaning of your time and all your times in his eternity. He's made everything beautiful in its time because every season, every time, bright or dark, it's an opportunity to meet Jesus, to grow in your appreciation for Jesus, to grow in your relationship to God through him, it's an opportunity to become more like Jesus in how you respond to the times in which you find yourself. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you call us to entrust ourselves to you, to believe you when you say that what you are doing in the moments of our lives and in eternity, it's it's beautiful all of it. The only way we can trust you, the only way we can believe you is to hear the good news of your son, Jesus, and know that he truly reveals your eternal plan to us in his own life and death and resurrection and ascension into glory. So in Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to receive our time in this life from you as a gift, help us to be thankful for the gift of eternity also, which we still cannot comprehend. Help us to find peace and joy in our relationship with you in whatever season or time we find ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.